the modern world is not self-esteem friendly. This is evidence in that we have a call-out culture where anger can often seem like the tone of the internet, office, and classroom. Meanwhile, the aggression surrounding social issues today causes many to be silent because they fear a landslide of haters and thumb thugs. Yet to this backdrop, Nikola Tesla says all that was great in the past was ridiculed, combated, only to emerge all the more powerfully from the struggle. In this episode, we talk about turning your intimidation into determination. Stay tuned to the end as we ask one of the top 100 most influential Christians in America today, how do they handle criticism? Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight under real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey, my name is Noma Hedman, and the Keep It 100 podcast has been like water to my soul. Each week has spoke right to where I'm at. Sean and Krista bring truth with practical tools to equip and empower the body of Christ to live out the call and anointing on our lives. It's discipleship across the airwaves, and the ripple effects will be felt for generations. What up, everybody? We are so excited. This is Sean and Krista Smith with Keep It 100. We are so excited. And today we have some fresh content to help you remain strong in the face of flack. I am so pumped up. All right. It may be a little TMI for our listeners, Krista, (laughs) but we have both gotten sized and I've gotten my invisible braces on. And it's funny because people may notice it. It gives me a slight lisp. So just just, just give me a little grace, y'all. Just give me a little grace. But it's funny because both of us have had crowding of teeth. And so yep. we got these invisible braces to make space. We also have had some remodeling in our home and we've done purging. We've taken some right. extra stuff out of our closet. We've donated. And in the midst of it, we've made more space in our home. That's good. Yes. And then also we all find ourselves in this shelter in place where God is kind of removing the clutter of our schedule, Mm -hmm. I believe, for the same reason. So I found a common thread. The common thread is that we had crowding in our teeth, we had crowding in our house, and crowding (laughs) in our season. And God is saying it's all about making space, making space for what God is about to do. And I believe this episode is about making space for your growth and your spiritual walk. But it will require that you acquire the skill of how to deal with clapback, casting shade, and criticism. It's funny how this negative retaliatory atmosphere blankets this age, Krista. So true. We have it in amongst musicians and hip-hop artists. It's called diss tracks, where a song whose primary purpose is to verbally attack another artist. I think this was popularized through the whole Tupac, Biggie, West Coast, East Coast rappers. West Coast. It's so true. And celebrities, athletes, and man, are we seen in politicians. We're in election year America, and there is so much clapback, which is that strong comeback to answer any opponent's insult. We've seen it in brands, casting shade. That, you know, that's really what we call the subtle expression of contempt or disgust with someone. Brands like Coke versus Pepsi, Mac versus PC, Wendy's versus McDonald's. It's funny you'd say Wendy's versus McDonald's, because Wendy's tweeted, McDonald's. So you still use frozen beef in most of your burgers and all your restaurants asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's clapback, but that's straight up comedy. That's gangster (laughs) right there. That's hardcore. (laughs) It is. You know, today's call out culture is so seductive that you could see just like Wendy's 
so many can't resist the overwhelming temptation to strike out at people on social media. Callouts for those who don't understand the definition happen when people publicly shame people online or wherever they have beef with other people. It's so true. And as humans, each of us have a fundamental desire for social inclusion. And all of us want to be well-received and affirmed. You and I do. Every one of our listeners does. That's what we all want. We all want to belong. We all want to feel accepted. And because of that just core value within all of us, it can take one frosty comment, one verbal jab to completely devastate or derail our day. And I know we all know that because we've had those stories in our lives, each and every one of us, where we have a clapback moment, we have a critical moment where someone say harsh things or, and sometimes we respond so well. And then sometimes we do not respond well. Perfect segue to my story. <laughs> you know, in keeping with the spirit of keeping it 100, I want to be real. And I want to share you about a time that I didn't do so well. Uh, my baby girl, Brittany, when she was young, she had a basketball game. And in her basketball game, it was like a city league. Uh, as a young girl, she was at probably in elementary. She's playing a basketball game and an opposing girl tripped Brittany. She was dribbling, bringing the ball up court for her team, tripped her. And as a result of tripping her, the other girl stole the ball. Well, the referee should have called an infraction. It should be a foul. For those right. of you that don't know basketball, you can't trip people. This is <laughs> not hockey. But the ref didn't call anything. And so I'm kind of like, oh, man, I can't believe he missed that. So the little girl on the other team recognizing, hey, I wasn't penalized. I'm going to come back and do it again. So this other girl tripped Brittany. And the second time Brittany fell on the ground, looked like she kind of hurt herself. And the ball was turned over. The girl got it again. And the ref didn't call anything. So I stood up and I said, ref, you can't trip people. That's a foul. And the moment I said it, another guy just across in the stands, I think he was the dad of the other girl, says, hey, pipe down over there. And before I knew it, I stood up on my feet. And I said, hey, am I talking to you? And I just stared the man down. And then as I realized as I'm standing up in front of a gym full of people, I looked around and saw about three different churches represented that I preached at in our area here. I sheepishly sat back down. And I just want all the listeners to know, since that time, I've had a come to Jesus moment. That was not the way to respond. That is the definition of clap back. I clap back on that dude. <laughs> you clap back like... on the clap back. You know, I tell you what, that story is so hilarious to me because it is so not you. I mean, I've known you for years. I have never seen anything remotely like that come out of you. So all the more it's hilarious because I'm like, that is just the farthest thing away from your personality because you're such an exhorter and you're always encouraging everyone around you. And it was that perfect storm moment for you, right? It was all those factors. It's your baby girl. And you're like, this is not right. I'm going to, I'm going to advocate for her. And we all have those moments in those where you're like, don't even realize. And you have that reactive moment. And then we, you have the sheepishly sit down moment. We've all had them. And that's what I feel like. God's like, Hey, come on, let's go higher. That's right. You know, and, and that's the hard part, but I feel like that it is available and it's certainly possible with the Lord, you know, in, in my story, cause we were kind of talking about stories, like where we've seen this in our life. This actually happened really recently. I mean, we're in August right now, and this happened last March. It was right, my last sermon that I preached before COVID, and we were with a ministry, and I preached a sermon, and unbeknownst to you and I, um, the sermon really went viral. It did. And it had like 680,000 views. It was shared 9,000 times. Crazy. It had like crazy amounts of comments. I've never had a sermon 
go viral like that. And we had no idea because I released a sermon, but then I come home and I didn't go on the ministry page to find out, you know, that it had done what it had done. And so we got contacted by the media person of this ministry. And he's like, Hey, have you seen what's been going on with Krista's sermon? It's going viral. And he's like, Hey, it'd be really good for you guys to get online, interact with people, thank people and just, you know, respond and interact. We're like, Hey, we can totally do that. So we were, you know, it was early one morning we got up, we're still in bed. We pull out our laptops and we're like looking, we're like, Oh my gosh, this is so awesome. And majority of the comments were super positive and really encouraging. Right. And then all of a sudden there was like one really negative comment and then another, and then another. And there was like this list and you know how it is. It's like when one hater comes out, like they all join in and there's Everybody's usually like this, I call it like the clump of negativity. They like cluster, yes. they come together. And all of a sudden there was like this litany of negative and they were mean. They were like things about me. They didn't like about me. And then theologically just I mean, tearing me apart. And then, of course, the fact I was a woman. Oh, my word. I, I mean, it was so mean. And I just wasn't expecting it. I wasn't prepared for it. I never had anything on this level. And I got, boom, I got hit. And I remember sitting in bed and without even like realizing it, I was reading it. All of a sudden, tears just overcame and I started crying. I remember that. I was like oh. sitting in bed, I just started crying. I was like, they're so mean. Because my mentality is, hey, you can disagree with me, but you don't have to be mean or hateful, right? right? You don't have to like everything I say. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with that, but like, don't tear me apart in the process. Right. And so I'm, and it's coming from Christians quote unquote. And I'm like, hello, where is Jesus in any of this? He is nowhere in this conversation. I realized in that moment, cause as Sean took my laptop kindly away from me, yes, I did. he's like, you're going to not read this and you're not going to go back on and check. You're not going to even entertain any of this dialogue or conversation. I'll go on. I will handle this. I will cover you. And I realized, Ooh, I felt so protected protected and covered in that moment. And I realized had I stayed in that place and I continued to read and really digest what they were saying, which means absorbed what they were saying, it really would have wounded my spirit, I think, long-term because it was so, it was stuff about my identity. It was stuff about who I am and what I carry. And it was personal. And I really realized in that moment, in this clap back, critical casting shade culture, there has to be an, a wisdom of, co- of covering ourselves and guarding our peace. True. So true. I almost wanted to rise up in that moment and go, am I talking to you on that Facebook live? <laughs> Trust I, me, I, I did too. I tell you what, it, and you, we learn in those moments how important it is because I could have, I could have like shrunk, you know, I could have just limited myself. I could have been like, oh my gosh, I'm never doing this again. And then I'm like, no, this comes sometimes when you have uh, something that gets seen by a lot of people that comes with the territory and it's worth it when the gospel gets released. Yes. You know, as followers of Christ, your exclusive allegiance and witness of Christ would generate criticism. You know, if you're doing anything significant, people are always going to cast shade. That's that's what we know. And that's certainly what I experienced. That's why you have to be prepared for it. That's why we're talking about it today. And when we learn how to harness it so that it propels you into your purpose, and we want to turn intimidation into determination. Speaking of determination, I think it's important to delineate there are different types of intimidation. You know, the Old Testament closes by saying that God would send the spirit of Elisha. Well, Elijah has his origin in 1 Kings chapter 18, and his rise to prominence comes at a very interesting time. It's at a time where there's a wicked coalition of a wicked king by the name of Ahab and a wicked queen that brought Phoenician worship into Israel, worship of Baal. Her name was Jezebel. And I think of them as two types of persecution. It says in 1 Kings 18 that Jezebel massacred the prophets 
So they hid in caves. So Jezebel is overt persecution. We've seen that throughout history. She threatens. The threat is a message that projects a negative outcome. And Jezebel would, was going to follow through on that. But also, Ahab is a little bit different in his intimidation. And it's more of a subtle control. It's more of a manipulation. It's more of social conforming. Yes, we think of our kids and our teenagers in terms of one of their biggest battles is peer pressure, but you don't age out on that. It just simply becomes social conformity. And Ahab was a master at using it to the point where when Elijah comes on the scene, God speaks to him and says, you have to go show yourself to Ahab. In other words, you can't run from the intimidation. So Elijah shows up and he soon finds out that ultimately the battle is going to be 850 to 1. And so even Elijah has to fight the intimidation of being in the minority versus the majority. But what Ahab uses is intimidation. And intimidation is such a powerful weapon because it can cause you to put down God's purposes and compromise. It's so true. And this dynamic of Elijah, Ahab, and Jezebel, of that intimidation. And here Elijah, he takes a strong stand. He's a He does a bold exploit. One of the greatest demonstrations in Old Testament when they're on that Mount Carmel and there's a command of who is the one true God. And of course, we know um, the God of Elijah, our God, comes through and he defeats the prophets of Baal. And in that next moment, there's a death threat for Elijah's life. He's run into the caves. And there's this dynamic and this going back and forth that I think we all wrestle with. But I feel like God's like, I want to break the sway of intimidation where you don't have to run anymore. You don't have to hide in the cave anymore. We're going to stand in the face of opposition. And the opposition has to cower because what is in us is greater than the sway of the culture of today. So true. And even to illustrate that type of intimidation, in verse 16 of 1 Kings chapter 18, Ahab says to Elijah, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And so I think about what intimidation tries to do is it attempts to use labels to get you to back down from your stand. Mm -hmm. so in other true. words, the, the world today will try to label you as intolerant. Mm. The world today will try to say you're not inclusive enough. The world today will try to say that you're far right-wing conservative, whatever, 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 all the different labels. And what happens is intimidation at the end of the day is a result of someone trying to gain control over you. So the moment you see it for what it is, you can begin to defend it. And then in verse 21, it's interesting because the rest of the cast in this amazing story of 1 Kings 18 was the people, the populace of Israel. And Elijah turned to them and said, how long will you sit on the fence? Mm. Because nobody said a word and nobody made a move because the intimidation immobilized them. You know, that is so familiar to what we are seeing in today's Western world Christianity, because intimidation shows when people are immobilized from doing what we know is right. And there are so many people that are on the fence. They're not moving. They're paralyzed. And there's like these people, there's, you know, there's definitely believers that are like, come on, where's your voice? Stand up for truth and righteousness and, and what God is saying in this hour. And there's like crickets and God's like, Hey, you have to know who you are in me and you cannot cower anymore to the intimidation. And I love that God wants to shift us from a place of resolve and our identity. So when the clapback comes, when the criticism comes, when that culture of cancel wants to hit us, if the enemy knows there is a word or a label that will shut you down, don't you think you'll hear that? But when you rise above and you, you do not give authority to the labels and the titles of the word curses that the enemy tries to put on you, that's where you're going to walk in your greatest place of identity. I'm going to do a first here, Keep It 100 Tribe. Obviously, the first book I've ever recommended 
that you read is the Bible, okay? But now here's the first <laughs> other book, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Mm. Because Fox's Book of Martyrs gives you the history of your spiritual ancestors that spilled their blood and guys that would say quotes like, oh, but I had a thousand lies to give for my savior, but alas, I have but one. Mm. As a guy literally was decapitated in Nero's backyard. And I think when you have spiritual ancestors that refuse to run from Nero's guillotines, we can't be those Christians that run from the butter knives of ridicule. We so have to good. know that we're cut from the cloth of people that literally were torn asunder. They had their heads chopped off. They were torn between chariots. Mm. And when you recognize that that same DNA is in you, it causes you to rise up. And that leads me to another story, Krista. I can remember when I'd given my life to Christ, I was being mentored by probably to this day, one of the boldest Christians I mean, he was bold, so bold. And I was so challenged by the boldness of his life. He would preach open air. He would walk into frat houses and witness. The I'd never seen him back down to anything. And one time, church was putting on an outreach, actually here in the Bay Area, and they invited Oakland Public Schools to do their cheerleading contest. And it was an annual contest, but this church hosted it because during the halftime, they would give like a gospel presentation. And so all these cheerleader teams were out and then all of a sudden they started it. And so it's on the steps of a church, but it's outside. I think many people show up. They don't know what they're walking into. They don't know this is an outreach. And so I'm with my mentor and uh, we're, we have a little hook before we're going to share the gospel. Uh, he did some feats of strength. I did martial arts mm -hmm. and, and broke some boards. And then he began to preach. Well, almost about the time we're, we're finishing up breaking some stuff, you could hear guys go, bring the girls back on. Because the girls were not just doing rah, 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 R-E-P-O-U-N-D, rebound. These girls were gyrating. It was very sensual. It was very provocative. So they had raised up the spirit of flesh. And so, and so they were saying, shut up, sit down. We don't want to hear that stuff. Wow. And then my mentor, he starts preaching the gospel. And they just thoroughly disrespected them. They uh, said all kind of inappropriate things. And, and I remember my mentor saying, you know what? I preached in prisons and was treated better than I'm being treated here. And he just handed me the mic. Mm. And he was just kind of walking away from the stage. Right. I didn't even know what to say. And I'm like, man, I've never seen this happen to my mentor before. He's bold. Wow. And so I just shared my testimony. And somewhere in sharing my testimony, I just kind of fought through. And I remember there was one sister that said to everybody else, hey, man, y'all shut up. Listen to him. What he's saying is real. And so I finished my testimony. And I think my mentor got back up after that. And he gave an altar call. And we ended up praying with two people that gave their life to the Lord. But I just thought in that moment, wow. the power of criticism, clap back and shade, mm. that in that moment, one of the boldest Christians this day that I, I met was stymied for a moment. Mm. And that's when I kind of stepped up. But really, it was a combination of him fighting through and breaking the ice for me to come through and be able to share after that. It's so true. We have to realize the, this critical spirit, this casting shade culture has truly become the demonic weapon of choice. Many would-be testimonies in the making have been assassinated because of this dynamic. And the reality is we have to understand there is a force that comes against us, but we don't have to cower. And we recognize at any time we are always operating from a higher place. And that is so important for us to understand because when we empower the wrong thing, 
We empower it through fear. We empower it through intimidation. We understand that we have nothing to cower at. And yes, we can be uncomfortable. Yes, our reputations can be affected. We can lose followers on social media. There is consequences sometimes, but the consequences are nothing compared to the glory we're going to give to God. That's right. The goal is not to be liked, even though you try to get that on Instagram, you try to get that on Facebook or whatever. The goal for a born-again, spirit-filled follower of Christ, your goal is not to be liked, L-I-K-E-D, but your goal is to be liked, L-I-G-H-T. So good. I love that. And, you know, the reality is we want to talk about two downfalls of caving into criticism. Number one, you will be in a position where you will deny what you know to be true. This is one of the biggest dangers of criticism is not to your reputation, you guys, but it's to your heart. Come on, tribe. We have to understand when we are in a clap back, casting shade, criticism culture, it doesn't just damage your reputation. We're talking about your heart. This is so important for us to understand that the biggest danger of criticism is not to your reputation, but it's to your heart. The second downfall of caving into criticism is you'll be in a position where you will make false concession. In other words, you're no longer going to make a decision based on what is right or wrong, but you'll be making decisions based on who is around you. Mm. And 2 Thessalonians 2.4 says, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, which that's an honor. And it goes on to say, we are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And when I think about that passage, number one, we have to be reminded we're not trying to please men. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to please them. At the end of the day, that's not how we'll be weighed. That's not how we'll be evaluated. It's about pleasing the Father. And second of all, I think it's interesting that passage ends, Krista, by saying, but we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. And the way it's read, it really kind of speaks to the fact that sometimes God will allow some clapbacks to test your heart. Mm. What are you really in it for? Are you in it to be popular? Are you in it to be powerful in God? Are you in it so that you can look good in your reputation? Or are you going to lay down your reputation that God's reputation can shine through you? Oh, so true. I know I experienced this early on in my ministry when I was in my 20s and I was really finding my voice and I was really discovering, and we talked about this in earlier episodes, I was really discovering who I was in the Lord and like what I carried in my gift mix. And I really discovered I love to preach and I love to minister. And I was often told, tone it down. I was too fire. I was too this, too that. That message of you're too much was just reiterated again and again. And I really saw it as a, a tactic of the enemy me to dole who I was created to be. Had I cowered to the criticism, had I cowered to what people were trying to make me be, it was like that David and Saul's armor moment. Everyone's trying to make me more digestible or make me more palatable. And the reality is I am going to be who I'm called to be. And the reality of that is us understanding if we're just true to who we are, that's going to be our greatest display of God in us and through us. I love that. You know, there's a song, and I'm not taking exception to it, but I just had a thought on it. It used to be an old campfire song at Christian camps, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But the Bible says we're the light of the world. So I don't know that we have a little light. I think we have a flamethrower. But what happens is, is the enemy tries to use criticism and tries to employ clapback and casting shade so that we will dull our shine Mm. and turn down the pilot light of our fire instead of being a flamethrower like you see in these like movies that we are reduced from the flamethrower to a bit lighter. Now, when I think about criticism, there are three options in criticism. And I think it's important to see the three options. So when someone criticizes you, because we've already established you're going to face it. 
It's going to come. Have yep. a plan. Yep. Well, the first option of criticism is maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. True. And if they say it, and maybe they say it in a way that you don't like it, it still shouldn't excuse you from a place that maybe you're losing an opportunity to learn something. So what you have to say is, I may not like the package, but is there something that I can hear that they're saying that God is speaking to me, that I can grow, I can adapt, I can progress? So the first option of criticism is maybe they're right. The second option of criticism to consider is maybe they're hurting. And the truth is hurt people hurt people. And there's people that are often in fighting battles unseen. We don't know what they're going through. And I have learned in life that there has to be a compassion and empathy that you and I constantly give people the benefit of the doubt. We recognize that everyone's in their own fight. They're struggling through their own things. And so at times, maybe they're just simply hurting. Maybe what you released or shared is triggering. It has nothing to do with you. I learned this in pastoring. And in pastoring people, I realized I can't own their hurt, nor can I fix their hurt, but I'm going to do everything in my power to not continue tribute to their hurt. And I think that's so important because we don't want to be people that fuel the cycle of hurt and trauma connected with who Jesus is. We want to break the cycle and bring them back to a place of encounter and love with the Lord. And the third option of criticism is maybe they're convicted. Matthew 10, 22 says you'll be hated by everyone because of me. That maybe the reason why they're critical of you is that they feel convicted. So it's not about you. And sometimes we think, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Well, in fact, it's that God is pointing out what's wrong in them. And so they're under conviction. And so as a result of that, because they're running from it or not wanting to deal with the conviction, the conflict that rises up in their heart, they begin to aim at you. Now, in order for us to thrive in this clapback culture of fear, the key is you can't allow it to set up real estate in you. Because if you do it every turn, you're going to be bombarded and then you're going to have excuses come to feel secure, to stay in safe mode, to settle, to sell out. But that's not what God's called you to do. Hebrews 6, 19 tells us that we have hope as an anchor for the soul. The reason why this is important, in the early Roman catacombs in the first century where early Christians were buried, many of them martyred, you will find carvings of of a dove, which is Holy Spirit, a fish, which is the word Ithacus in ancient language. It's a symbol of Jesus Christ. That's why people have fish bumper stickers on their car and an anchor. And here's what they would say about the anchor, that the early Christians saw an anchor as hope in the midst of persecution. And so we have to be anchored in our soul. That's what that verse says, anchor for the soul. If you're anchored in your soul, you're not going to be pulled by the sways of people that are giving you flat or having a time where they're criticizing you. And so this is so important to see. We want to also give you now five ways to combat clap back. Number one, the first way to combat clap back is to decide what you stand for. If you don't know what you stand for, you become unsure in convictions. Any amount of clap back will cause you to take a step back. But if you decide what you stand for, you are going to be in a place where you will be strong. And if you decide before the fight, many times people don't realize if you don't make up your mind before the crisis, you'll be unable to make up Mm. your mind in the midst of the crisis. So good. And you know, I think of the scripture, double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You have to know who you are in Christ Jesus before the crisis comes, before the ridicule, before the criticism come, or you'll sway underneath the the spirit of the Savior. Number two, we're talking about five ways to combat the clap back in your own life. Value God's opinion above all others, Mm. because when you embrace identity, it neutralizes when others think less.
less of you. People's opinions will sway. People's opinions one day will love you and then you're not their favorite the following day. We've all experienced that. But if we put our identity and our value and our self-esteem and the opinions of others and not the opinion of man, we will find ourselves on an emotional roller coaster. But when we're rooted and grounded in who God has called us to be and we value people, we love people, but our identity is not rooted in people, what a more healthy place we're able to be from because we're living from our fullness and not from our lack. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Number three, I hear this so often and and let me say the phrase and then I'll, I'll, I'll express it. Number three, you have to recognize influence has a price tag. Ooh, say that. I hear so often amongst the emerging generation, I'm called to be an influence. I'm called to be a a cultural influence, a social influence, a style influence, a communicator, influencer. Well, I believe that. Absolutely. I I champion that. I cheerlead. I want to mentor that. But you also have to recognize that influence has a price tag. And here is the price tag that every true influencer understands. You have to lay what you value on the line for what you value more. Mm. So part of that is you lay your reputation on the line because you value God's move and his gifting and purpose in your life more than your reputation in a minute in that moment. And so what you have to do is you have to ignore criticism because you're recognizing influence's price tag. Number four, minimize exposure with toxic, hurtful people. Say that. Come on, people. I'm not talking about people that are just different than you or believe different. I'm talking about toxic, hurtful people that when you walk away from interactions, conversations with them, you do you question who you are. You feel bad about yourself. It goes after your worth, your self-esteem, your gift mix, your destiny. It brings you to a place of hopelessness, hopelessness and discouragement. I want us to really evaluate who do you allow to speak into your life and the interactions even on a social media online world. There's such a bait to toxic interactions, toxic behavior, and toxic conversations. I want us to use wisdom. If there are relationships and or interactions that are not with the fruit of the spirit, if that's not the fruit that is coming from those interactions or conversations, that fruit has to be cut out of your life. Guard your peace, guard your identity, and recognize you don't have to give place to people that are against you. The fifth and final way to combat clapback is to use your purpose to get back on your horse. There was an old saying is you got to get back up on the horse that threw you. And it's kind of that thing of before you allow fear to set in, even though it didn't work out great previously, jump back in it. Well, I think sometimes it's not for the lack of understanding that you want to be on a horse. It's a lack of why you were on the horse to begin with. So let me give you a good example. Use your purpose to get back on your horse. This is very dear to my heart because I remember being impacted as a baby Christian, a young believer, that Jesus is in the garden and he's sweating drops of blood because he knows he's going to be separated from the Father. I don't think in that moment drops of blood was about so much the physical punishment. It was more of being separated from the Father, as he would say on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he is describing this, may this cup be passed from me, and he's talking about this in the garden. And then he says this phrase, and I love it. He says, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I've come into the world. Mm. Jesus operated in the principle that he used his purpose to get back up on his horse. And those times when sometimes criticism does get to you, sometimes a clapback does knock you off your horse. Sometimes, like Krista described in that moment that she was in bed and, and, and those hurtful comments on Facebook and tears flooded her eyes, sometimes you are knocked off your horse. But what I've learned And what I want to share with you, Keep It 100, a tribe, 
is that you use your purpose to get back up on your horse. And when you use your purpose to get back up on your on your horse, you've just taken a bullet out of the enemy's gun. You know, there really is a call for you and I to be a contrast in the midst of a clapback culture. I believe that in this clapback critical culture, you and I are called to live from a place that is higher. You know, when I reflect on the life of Jesus, he was not intimidated, discouraged, or angered by people that were different than him. In mm. fact, he actually ate with the tax collectors and ate with the prostitutes. He actually shared a meal. He created space at his table for people that were different rather than shaming, shunning, and disqualifying people in his interactions that were different than him. He actually welcomed them into his space. And wouldn't that be such a different approach in a world that is so critical and shuns you and cuts you off if you're different? If there's, there is zero tolerance for anyone that may sound different, may believe different. I want you to know in the church today, there is so much division, whether it's over social stuff, whether it's over politics, whatever it may be. But I believe where there, when unity comes back to the church, we're going to look a lot more like Jesus because Jesus was not afraid of differences. In fact, he refused to allow defense responses to become his default. And he mm. was not reactive to the culture. Instead, he was committed to transform the culture. And we transform the culture when we become a contrast to the clapback, where we're not engaging in the bait of the negativity. And I want you to know, friends, we have to reevaluate how we respond in the midst of this clapback culture because it's never worth it to lose our witness. We're talking about casting shade. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, being led in and empowered of the Holy Spirit, prayed and they saw a guy who could not walk, get up and walk, and a witness was spreading all around Jerusalem that the man at the gate beautiful is now walking and no longer on a mat begging for coins. As a result of that, the enemies of the gospel in Acts chapter 4 called Sanhedrin called Peter and John in and they began to cast shade by urban definition. In fact, it says in Acts 4, 17, they said to keep this from spreading any further. And then later on in Acts 4, 21, it says, so they threatened them further to not speak in his name. And it's interesting because remember, the reason why Sanhedrin, the hater group, did this is to keep it from spreading. And I wonder if really the sinister motivation behind casting shade on you that you feel as an individual is an enemy trying to keep God from spreading. The Bible says that the gospel is like leaven and leaven is in bread, it rises up. Your purpose is meant to rise up inside of you. The gospel is meant to rise up in culture, but the Amen. enemy wants to threaten you and cast shade. But you know what Peter did? Peter said, hey, you can decide whether or not obey man or obey God. But as for me, I'm gonna obey God. And he goes back to his companions and they pray and there's a power shows up in terms of, Acts chapter 4, boldness. And then it's interesting, Krista, in Acts chapter 5, remember, Acts chapter 4, Sanhedrin cast its shade by trying to bring the shade of hindrance. But in Acts chapter 5, it says in verse 15, it says that Peter cast shade, but a little bit different. When he cast shade, it says that Peter's shadow was healing people. So what I love is if, if he would have got mad and tried to strike back or either shut down, he would have never have cast his shade and his shade healed, their shade hurt. And so you have a choice right now that you can cast a shadow. And of course, Peter's shadow is a metaphor for influence. You're an influencer and your influence is to make sure in this hour you're casting the type of shade that brings healing. 
As promised, we told you that at the beginning of this episode, in our introduction, that we were going to allow you to eavesdrop on a very private conversation. One of the hundred most influential Christians in America today, it is my friend, Pastor Sammy Rodriguez. He has spoken and prayed for presidents. He heads up the Hispanic Evangelical Association. He's been on major syndicate networks. He is also one of the producers of the movie Breakthrough, and he has a couple other movies that's coming out. And so I want you to listen as I ask Pastor Sammy Rodriguez, what do you do to face criticism? Hey, everybody. I got Dr. Samuel Rodriguez. Our friendship goes back to the 90s. Pastor Sammy, how do you handle criticism, clap back, or people casting shade on you? Here's the understanding. If their praise did not make me, their criticism cannot break me. If their praise did not make me, did not define me, then their criticism shouldn't bother me. I literally shake it off. Criticism in the 21st century speaks to communities that are advancing an agenda of righteousness and justice. If you're committed to truth and love, you will be criticized. If you're committed to the prophetic, the pathetic will arise against you. So you shake it off. I'm not defined by my followers. So I'm not measured. I'm not defined by the number of people that follow me. I am defined by the one I follow. And because of that, criticism, God bless you. I don't hate them though. I pray for salvation, transformation, for God to quicken their spirits and turn them around. But again, they don't define me. They don't lead me. They don't in any way, form, or shape obstruct my fulfillment of God-ordained destiny. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Come on, Keep It 100 Podcast Tribe. We love you guys. We're so honored to be able to just have these conversations with you. And every week you're tuning in. Make sure and subscribe so you're alerted as soon as a new podcast drops, if you haven't already. And don't forget to rate, review, and refer. That really helps us get the word out because we want more people impacted for Jesus. Everything Sean and I are doing on this podcast is to equip and disciple this generation. We believe God is going to do something new and you and I are a part of it. If you want to connect with us during the week, check us out at seanandchrisasmith.com. You can, of course, find us on Facebook at Sean and Chris Smith Ministries. And we've even been doing some Facebook Lives called Mentoring Moments. And they're things that we're talking about from the podcast. We're taking even deeper on Facebook Live. Check us out. You would do yourself a favor by tuning in next week as we talk about sanctifying your imagination. It will give you a win in the battle for your mind while positioning you for an increase in revelation. Can't wait to be with you guys next week. And remember, keep it 100. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.